and then Travis just like does some cool noodling. Yeah. We actually we never play the full version, but there's like a 15 minute guitar solo in there. It's just Travis playing yeah, his heart it out. It just shreds, man. It like kind of riffs on like the the like tapping part from like Eruption. Uh, like there's a lot of like really iconic licks that Travis kind of makes his own. Honestly, uh, it might be the greatest guitar solo of all time that we just honestly, refuse to release. Yeah, it goes into like a uh, purple haze at one point, but like kind of shreds a little harder. And then the uh, Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then at one point it becomes a song that let me see a like six tentacled alien that I understand is God. Were you was this when you had taken all that DMT or But this isn't a podcast about taking a bunch of drugs and seeing God sometimes. There's so many podcasts for that. <laughs> There's so many podcasts for that, and I'm not as red and puffy enough for it. Uh, yeah. But this is a podcast about horror movies and martial arts movies and why they are two great tastes that taste great together. Chances are, if you like one, you might not be as familiar with the other, but there's stuff from both that completely makes sense when you match them up. Yeah. They complement each other real well, and uh, we just want all of our buds to watch both of them all the time, and then talk to us about them we wanted to feel like it's a it's, it's a double feature at a drive-in movie um and we're your dumb stoner video store friends along for the ride and then afterwards we all go to bob's big boy and talk about the movies that we watched until like 2 a.m good god i love bob's big boy yeah it's good stuff man it's I've good been, stuff i've been thinking a lot about diners and how i live Close enough to like a few that I really dig that I should be going more, like Nickel or Original Pantry. Yeah, I mean, you know, the world is starting to exist again. Uh, although it's still like it's you know not super safe or uh, ideal to go out. They lifted all of the mask mandates and then uh, the COVID rates spiked, which was super predictable. But you know, maybe in three to six months it'll be diner time again. Maybe. At least we got a fancy new toaster to make eggs. That's right. The toaster. We got a real nice toaster. We got everybody. a very nice toaster. We're, it's this is a toast podcast about toasters house. now. This is a podcast about toasters now. Um, Toasting and boasting. <laughs> we toast bread and boast about how nice our new toaster is. Good God, Elijah. Um, no, we uh, heard y'all, and y'all mentioned keeping some of the fluffier elements, like some of the chat questions and the side uh, tangents about what we've been watching lately up top. So here's that. Yeah, now it's that. Now we're just talking about a toaster. No. Surprise. Surprise. All we've been doing <laughs> is toast. Asked, and now you get toasters. No, I um, as of lately, I haven't been able to do as much like outside of kicking and screaming movie and TV watching. Um, I will say I have been able to do a little bit more gaming at work because that's what I do. Um, nice, nice. And uh, I've I've been playing a few things, and while everybody is currently wrapped up in Elden Ring City, right? Um, the things I've been enjoying while noodling on a break or something at work have been uh, Inscription and begrudgingly Sifu. Oh, uh, I love uh, Inscription so much, uh, and. I, I would say anyone uh, anyone listening who cares about video game storytelling and specifically like storytelling within an interactive medium and ways in which that might uh, differ from uh, you know f film or literature music other mediums uh, inscription is absolutely a must play 
Uh, and I don't want to uh, spoil it in any way. And if you can go into it with as little information as possible, you should. And uh, I will say, for my horror heads, because I'm definitely more of the horror end of this, and if you're looking to get into more horror media outside of uh, your usual scope of like movies and books and what have you, um, I wouldn't even say a lot of the big AAA horror games are as amazing as they could be as of recently. Y'all want to go to itch.io. Go oh, to yeah, itch.io, yeah, and you will find some fantastic free to cheap pieces of horror yeah. that are usually like 10 to 15 minute playthroughs that are utterly fantastic. Yeah, just some really beautiful stuff, which, uh, yeah, we've we've talked about uh, some of uh, in uh, some indie horror stuff in various capacities here. But, uh, yeah, good Good call. There's Good um call. one that I played recently that I really liked, which, by the way, they also have a uh, Ukraine bundle on itch.io that you should definitely check yeah, out. I think, is it still up? The la- Go ahead I, and check. It um, had like two days. It might be over at the time of releasing. But. There's a game that I adore called Open House, which if you've ever like looked for real estate, you've gone through those like 3D maps, you know, where you're like going from room to room, except this plays like a horror game using that tool. Um, and as you scan it, the house kind of gets increasingly more and more horrific and you find like evidence of awful things. Um, I played it at work and I got real squirmy. And, uh, so that's one of the itch.io ones that I'm a big fan of. And it, it's only like 10 minutes, I think. And I believe it was free when I last looked at, looked at it. Nice. Uh, yeah. And the bundle for Ukraine, uh, is still up. Uh, and legitimately, if you uh, have ever enjoyed a video game or uh, if you have any device, uh, PC, laptop, uh, MacBook, iPhone, or Android capable of running like any of the games that are in there, uh, it is absolutely a must-purchase uh, because a ton of indie devs uh, contributed to make it a 998-item bundle for My $10. My God. Yeah, so it's a thousand things um, with a, a, an MSRP of about $7,000, but you can get it for $10 uh, right now if you so choose. Uh, I bought it a bit ago. It's still, uh, at, at time of recording, it's available for about 24 more hours, so if you're listening to this and you haven't done it, definitely search uh, Ukraine Bundle itch.io and buy it because it rules. And uh, if you're looking for a very short experience, I highly recommend Press W to move forward. It's oh, a five-minute horror game. Um, honestly, if you look up, most of the top ones are also some of the free ones, so the shopping list is another one that's on there. Um, very short things that I sometimes play on like a break or something, because a while back I told Elijah that kicking and screaming really is some of the like only free time I have to like watch movies that I like as of recently, yeah. as opposed to like kind of prepping for all of my like day-to-day work that I that I have to do and so I really only get like five to 30 minutes to take in a piece of media for myself right before I get home and so mini games on itch.io have kind of been the only way for me to like have my horror movie fix I've started doing it over like the last week because I literally stood in my kitchen and looked at Elijah and said it hurts my heart that I don't watch horror movies as much as I used to other mm. than like the one or two a week that I do for this show yeah um so it's it's been kind of a great way to like put it back in it and I feel like I'm kind of feeling like me again that's very cool yeah no I uh I realized the other day because X is uh the the new Ty West uh slasher is like now in theaters 
and uh you know my my twitter feed was kind of buzzing about it and i was like oh that's right that's a movie oh it's in theaters oh i can go to a theater and i think just the you know the degree to which i've become a homebody coupled with just like work and stress and limited emotional and Someone mental bandwidth spoiled scream for uh, me oh no please don't I'm not gonna do I, it. I know. I didn't, I know. I just panicked. It's finally on Paramount Plus, so we can watch it together, scream, which is great. But somebody fucking spoiled Scream yeah, for me, and I'm sucks. so upset. Um, I don't recall what I was saying. Um, Sorry, it just it, rem- I know it just I reminded so, like, me in the moment, and I just like got sad all over again. I got so. Uh, I usually don't care about spoilers, but like saying it to my face sucks. No, I know. Just the premise. Uh, I went into a panic. I went to fight or flight mode. Uh, no, I just like I've uh, realized that I haven't really gone to theaters in a while, and I miss that. Uh, and I just like, yeah, similarly have not even like when I've had free time, ostensibly have not like maybe had the emotional energy to watch as many films as I would like. So uh, I've I've watched uh, more TV, little bite-sized digestible chunks. Uh, the James Gunn Peacemaker series, uh, Shreds. Uh, I'm so glad you got me to watch it. Yeah, it's really good. It's not like I didn't think I was gonna love it because I really liked Suicide Squad. Um, I just the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Distinction. Very important distinction. Very important distinction. It's like that bit in the office where it's like, which pizza place did you get from? Right. Uh, it's Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is the Suicide Squad you have at home. Um, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> but uh, I knew I was going to enjoy it. I had just gotten like significantly fatigued by most superhero things. I think that's why I enjoyed the Batman. Sorry if you didn't. Um, I just I preferred like a more grounded, low level story. And so even like big spectacle, you know, the idea of like the mystical and the crazy felt like far out of reach for for me in terms of just like how tired I was. Um, And I don't give a shit in Peacemaker. (laughs) No, Peacemaker uh, is fantastic. Uh, John Cena is like a surprisingly great comedic performer, uh, but... Yeah, I think just also giving, uh, you know, a former like trauma director uh, full creative license to do anything that he wants with a comic book character is just uh, very fun. It goes to some weird places. It gets super dark, uh, but like never really loses the humor and and the fun of it. Uh, Definitely, you know, definitely recommend it. I was not at all familiar with the character and uh, feel very like heavily fatigued by superhero media. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I love it. I recommend it. Uh, I think James Gunn might be the best dude to touch anything superhero-y. Yeah, no, he's between he's, like that and Super and uh, yeah, Super Guardians of the Galaxy was very good. Um, what else? Oh, I just started watching Ranking of Kings. Uh, and it's it's very good so far. Beautiful animation, uh, super super charming, very like fun and fantastical. Uh, but also like pretty pretty heavy, uh, pretty pretty bleak. Go some places. A lot of feelings. A lot of feelings so far. A lot of, a lot of emotions. Uh, and of course, uh, reading viral hit my webtoon that I love, uh, and everyone should be reading because it slaps. Uh, oh, and the thing I wanted to say about V-Hit in a previous episode, and then didn't because we hadn't established that this would be a full segment, uh, is that it has a uh, it it has a consultant on the comic who is uh, like a current professional mixed martial artist who like uh, you know the the writer uh, consults with obviously mm-hmm. to like 
portray the different martial arts and matchups uh you know with some accuracy and uh they they put a lot of like kind of like low-key educational stuff in there like you could read this and then like try to practice and train these things and it's you know without uh like someone there to correct you or like the video of these things you're not going to become like an amazing fighter but like literally these tips would help you in fighting uh but the one that like kind of blew my mind was that one of the first things that the the protagonist learns is a is a calf kick and uh at the time that that like arc in the comic was written and published a calf kick was not something that was like super commonly considered to be like a very like effective and worthwhile strike uh and it was sort of around the time that it was published and then like in the subsequent year that this kick really came into vogue in the world of mixed martial arts uh Dustin uh, I think it was Dustin Poirier uh like leveled Conor McGregor with it in a very like you know high profile pay-per-view match and it kind of just put this specific strike on the map in terms of like a thing that like everyone should have been doing but had kind of written off as like oh it's not super useful it's like high risk and low reward and then people started to realize that if you're doing it correctly you can potentially make it so your opponent can't walk after like five or six solid kicks uh and it blew my mind because at the time that i was reading v hit i was like man i don't know that a calf kick is the first thing you teach to a guy who can't fight like i don't know that that's gonna really like equalize things in a street fight and then within the course of a year i watched the landscape of like martial arts accept this as a shockingly effective technique uh, to the point that now I'm like watching a lot of like videos and things pop up of like how to defend the calf kick. <laughs> and it was very cool that this, you know, Korean uh, webtoon was ahead of the trend in the world of like actual MMA. Uh, so it's pretty tight and very good comic and everyone should read it. Also, the Taekwondo dude is very beautiful. <laughs> And he makes me want to do Taekwondo. I was waiting for to hear who you said you wanted to kiss. Also, every time I say that I learned karate as a child, what I mean is Taekwondo. Um, <laughs> That's right. I always forget. Um, which is why the only thing I know how to do is kick. Yeah. Can't throw a punch. That's, I mean, most... The kick memory stayed. Most fights uh, don't require punching. <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to kick a guy to death on the street. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I, uh, gonna take that out of context. It's just gonna be a sensationalist head, headline. Vanessa Guerrero wants to kick a guy to death yeah. in the street. Uh, before we get into it, do we have any comments? Oh boy, we got some. We got some comments. Uh, at Adam Wick 09, Adam Wick, no relation to John Wick, as far waiting. as we know, writes impromptu double feature tonight of Fresh 2022 and Spice World 1997. I'm so psyched to see Fresh. But I'm struggling to come up with a name or an ad hoc theme to tie them together. Okay, I, Vanessa, I was not sure if you had watched Fresh yet, so I was reading it in the hopes that you had and could help with the theme or uh, name to pair this these two films. Uh, I was I, just gonna go with Hot and Ready because it's fresh and then spice. Oh, uh, that's a good that's a good double feature name. Uh, <laughs> just like a Little Caesar's Pizza, it's hot and ready. 
Um, but yeah, I I also have not seen Fresh yet, so I guess we will circle. I guess back we have around. to watch Fresh. Yeah, now. we got to watch Fresh. I'm and then serious. Watch Spice we will World. do this to answer your question. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And also because I want to watch Fresh. No, same. It's been on the list. Uh, so you know, uh, Adam Wick, let us know what you thought of Fresh, and then we'll watch it. And we'll reconvene and try to come up with a theme for that double feature. Uh, J.R. Shearer at King Shearer writes, "Just watched Red Wolf. Thoughts." Very bad dub. These were the most bloodthirsty bad guys I've seen in a long time. Kenny Ho is better than Spider-Man when it comes to dodging bullets. Why is it called Red Wolf? I actually had zero answers to why it was called Red, Fol- Red Wolf the entire time. It's just a cool name, man. I No, I don't know. Maybe that's the name of the boat and I just didn't notice. Honestly, it's possible that the ship that they're on is called the USS Red Wolf or something. Maybe it's just a cool name. Hard to say. Uh... But also, this this very succinct uh, 280 characters or less Twitter comment uh, honestly does, I would say, as good of a job as our episode at, like, <laughs> analyzing and covering the film. Maybe better they did it in under two hours. Yeah. No. Well done. Well done, JR. Uh, and lastly, in uh, last week's episode, I was really, really struggling with a word. I I found maybe twelve synonyms for the word, and throughout I found no a couple, yeah, and, and throughout no point during recording did I ever remember the word. Uh, but thankfully, Luke Lloyd at Lowbrow wrote, "I think epitome is the word you were looking for," which is true and accurate. <laughs> and if we currently had access to bow, editing, bow, bow, bow. there we go. There would be air horns. Bow, Thank bow, you. Bow, bow. Thank you, Luke Lloyd. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, and Luke Lloyd also wrote, uh, because this was a thing that I had said in the episode, all I had was spiders and I turned out fine and added a, you sure about that? Uh, all I had was spiders this weekend and I did not feel fine. All you had was spiders this weekend? Um, when that giant fucking spider and its stupid fucking egg sack hatched over me when I was opening that umbrella and my arm. Oh yeah. That was, that was a classic case of uh brain spiders because like you saw them and then were like convinced that they were like in your hair and on your arms which i get because anyone when you see a thousand tiny spiders you're like oh i'm covered in spiders and full of spiders uh but i i it was it was rough because i you you had the the panic of like they're on me they're on me and i had to like keep inspecting and being like there's no spiders and you're I like swore there's some on me and you're like okay cool cool there's no spiders and then you were like no there's spiders i feel them <laughs> It's hard because every time there's like a light breeze or like your hair shifts a little bit, you're like, I it's think a to spider. this day there are spiders on me. There might be. There oh. are thousands of them. There is. Shut there is, the no, fuck up. It, on your shoulder. No. Anyways, for this week's feature presentation. <laughs> Damn, kill the energy of the room. I have chosen. Censor. Now, Censor was one that I saw, I believe, at South by Southwest that year that I got that pass that was also streaming. So it was just like, yay, I finally got it. somebody else to pay for me to go to South by Southwest. Yeah. I'm at home. Um, <laughs> which is ideal. Which honestly was ideal because we watched way more stuff we than did. I would have. Also, I, I realized that this year similarly to last year most festivals had like a digital presence and for some reason i did a ton of it like last year and maybe the year before i forget how long this has been happening but 
this year it just like I, I stopped being aware of it and was like oh i wish i could go to film festivals and so i just like missed every midnight program this year which is a shame there's a ton of stuff i wanted to watch and i gotta gotta wait till it gets distribution but um i'm actually happy we saw this one for a second time in addition to the film festival because i think Same. when i saw it at the film festival i had seen so many things that day that i think i was like a little bit harsher on moments in which i as an audience member should have been quieter if that makes sense right right um there were moments in which I was still buzzing about everything else that I had seen, uh, that I wasn't still enough and present enough for moments. Like I'm, I, I went into this feeling a certain way and then came out of it another, realizing that I was incorrect in my own feelings on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, me as an audience member, the first time I saw it was not still enough for the second half of this to like let it happen to me and right, uh, take in like the little pieces that you get of like something worse seeping out of the edges of this woman's delusion. And I'm very happy. I watched it for a second time. I love it. I already loved I'm, it the first time. I infinitely love it more the second time. I, I was going to say, I, uh, I definitely, I, I think when we watched it the first time we were both, uh, just tired. You know, I think we'd like, it was uh, like our ninth movie of the day. Yeah. Something. Um, no, nine is impossible. I watched more than you that day. I know, but nine is too many. Because I'd watched a bunch of shorts I just don't too. Think remember? Enough hours. Oh, if you're if you're counting shorts, yeah, okay. Uh, there's just it's, there's simply not enough time. Uh, no, I know we were both like pretty wiped. Uh, I don't remember if we like uh, you know also worked in addition or whatever. You were working um, that day. Yeah, and so yeah, I remember like being very tired by the end of the movie, uh, and so I was excited to rewatch it because I was like, yeah, like I you know I remembered really digging the ending, but I also like there's stuff I don't remember about the the last act because I was kind of sleepy despite you know having watched it recently. Uh, so I I was already like looking forward to it. I was, uh, I guess, not like totally surprised because I was like, expecting this to some extent, but I was uh, very pleased with how rewarding the film is on subsequent watches. Yeah. Because the the first time you see it, uh, you know, especially like in it's a, not hinged on shock. Right, and well, and I think like the the first time you see it, uh, especially in like a, a festival setting, uh, you're going into it without any you know uh expectation or idea of you know what the synopsis or premise is necessarily so it's a lot of like twists and turns and questions and mysteries and the whole time you're kind of trying to piece together like is this in her head is this real who is who is the villain what is the you know this central mystery is something supernatural happening they're like so many not even like misleads or red herrings it's just upon an initial watch you're genuinely like i don't know where this is going to go and on a subsequent viewing, knowing where it eventually goes, it felt like, oh, it's all it's all like pretty clear. Like from go, the movie yeah. like kind of tells you exactly what is happening. When over you're not and looking over. for it, you're kind of like seeing all the stuff in the margins that's been there the whole time. Yeah. And uh so if you're not familiar with Sensor. Um, it Go was watch on it. Shutter. It's currently on Hulu. It's the debut feature from uh, Welsh director Prano Bailey Bond. Prano or Prano? I'm not entirely sure. I know ex- I'm, I'm Garrett say, will help us. <laughs> I'm gonna say Prano. That's how. That's what I'm gonna say. It's probably wrong, <laughs> but I'm gonna say Gareth help. Gareth help. <laughs> um, but uh, this was one where I had seen the synopsis for it, and I was like, we have to 
put this yeah, yeah. on our pass for it. Um, and the trailer just looked gorgeous. And I don't re- – there's another horror movie that was before it that we watched, and I don't need to name it, but because uh, every movie is a miracle when it comes out, and just because I didn't like it doesn't mean it's not great. But there's mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. that was, like, a little bit more anticipated before that that I was like – yeah, and then okay. we were a bit let down. Yeah. Um, and so by the time we got to this one, I was just like, "Oh, thank fuck! It's everything I wanted it to be." Yeah. Um. So, Censor is about a woman that works for the British Board of Film Classification during the height of video nasty times. Um. Similarly to what we were dealing with with like video games, I think more than anything, like horror movies, yes, but I think in the U.S., like video games were like. Yeah, like the inception of the ESRB, dudes like Jack Thompson, and yeah. Although if you go very far back, you have the Hayes Code, which is kind of the thing that like destroyed the industry, and where horror kind of had to like skirt around. And it's the reason why all the sluts die in horror movies because the Hayes Code was like, well, we're punishing the ones that the code doesn't want in the first place. Which is such a bizarre, stupid, arbitrary bullshit thing. It's just weird bullshit. Comic books had you know their run with it as well. The Comics Authority. Yeah, like the what is it? The CCA comics code authority the comics yeah, code authority the killed stuff. several comics houses yeah yeah no i mean like I, every yeah every medium eventually develops moral panic yeah you know? i mean ec yeah, we, comics died because of the yeah, comics code we, authority we, like you know, directly music and like you know many decades and genres uh you know hip hop. Sure ec comics is tales from the crypt yeah vault of horror haunt of fear yeah shocking suspense stories Sorry, just in case we have somebody here that's like here for kung fu and oh, they and need some the, horror they, background stuff. They just oh, I, I <laughs> they just need a list of out of print fifties horror comics. I mean, you should read them. You should absolutely. They're um, all, but yeah, Video Nasties was the similarly the era that they dealt with with Thatcher in the UK because I feel like everyone has a Thatcher, which is whoever's grave you currently wish you were pissing on right now. Um, Reagan. Reagan uh and uh uh I I love this as the intro to it because it also very much feels like the perspective from like a horror fan uh this this kind of interested dissection to this time in which some of the truly some of like the nastiest shit you've ever seen yeah. is getting published because even now it like kind of pales in comparison to some of the stuff I mean, some of the stuff now pales in comparison to, like, some of the stuff that was coming out during the video nasties that, like, several crimes were being uh, based in. And... um, Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Like, there's the same ones that were, like, tied to Jackass or whatever it may be. Like, uh, you know, blaming Columbine on first-person shooters and shit. Um, that was, that was a big one. Uh, the the Columbine shooters. Oh, yeah. uh, they were like, well, they played Doom, and it's like, yeah, it's because of Doom. Yeah, it's because they I played Doom, and I can't stop thinking about somebody's car that I scraped like eight years ago. <laughs> it's true. It's because you played Doom. <laughs> that's why you get intrusive thoughts. Oh no, that's why I get the intrusive thoughts about the car that I scraped. Yeah, because you played Doom. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, in this case, uh. Enid is not necessarily a fan of these video nasties. No. But she knows them. Yeah, she knows them very well as, you know, one of the uh, censors. Uh, But also something that I think is interesting, uh, especially on rewatch, is that she also, for like, by and large, uh, at least in the first act up until some, uh, you know, uh, significant plot revelations, uh, 
feels largely like undisturbed by them when she discusses them with her coworkers. You know, they uh, there's a scene where they're like in a in a break room, and one of her coworkers is trying to kind of like commiserate about like how uh you know upsetting the content was, and she's like, you know, I I just focus on the job you know and it's very like detached and uh clinical in this way which is kind of how she does everything which is why she's referred to as like little miss perfect right right and i do do, how much of the plot do we want to just like go full spoilers i feel like we can't discuss i'm gonna spoiler right now because you kind of have to because so literally the the plot the answer to and the secret of the movies in the title all of it like the the name censor is is honestly the answer to everything. Um, so pause here if you don't want the spoiler. Because and, yeah, go go watch the movie. Because it, it is very much a movie. That's I just best gave them the pause here, so I'm saying yeah. it now. Because censor is literally what her brain does. Yeah. To the shit she's done. Yeah. To the the uh, trauma of her past. Uh, in. And her current present. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, it is funny because, like, yeah, on. Uh, again on rewatch seeing it like uh knowing uh where the story eventually goes with all of like the mystery and mystique removed uh it's a fairly like kind of straightforward linear story in which a a uh woman who uh has something wrong in her brain on unclear what uh what kind of uh Dis- disorder or darkness or psychopathy. I wouldn't even or... say it's any of those things. I think it's just kind of the way sometimes your brain's like, I don't think you can handle this, so I'm taking it. Well, I... Okay, I guess this uh, maybe hinges on the question of uh, whether or not you believe that she murdered her sister. I do. I do, yeah. And I, I think that as a kid, she deliberately uh, took her younger sister's life, um, which, you know, child or not, appeared to have been at an age where like that is not a thing that most children would uh, she would have known what she was doing i don't think it's as brutal as you make it out to be by the end of the movie i think the brutal like scene that she watches of a sister killing another sister in a cabin in that movie woke up some memories of it i think she did do it i don't think it was like a huge brutal slaughtering i think it could have been like Yeah, I think there's room for it to have been like a game gone wrong or she got violent and wanted to hurt her sister but didn't mean to kill her sister or maybe she like intended to but as soon as it happened like because there's enough for it that they like couldn't figure out what happened to her sister. So I can't imagine her like coming back and not having like evidence and DNA on her right? because like an entire case happened where they're like, we think she just went missing. So I think at that age she couldn't have been calculated enough to like hide a murder I think an accident happened. It is absolutely her fault. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. Um, and I think her brain covered that up until again later. And her actions later might point to an urge to kill in Enid. Right. Enid. I think at the time it wasn't as calculated and brutal as we think it was. See, I, uh, I, I guess my interpretation was that uh don't go in the church the uh the frederick north film that kind of uh kicks off her uh should should we like do a quick uh run through of like 
Yeah, I'm gonna do it. A so, to B, and then we can like cut into it. Sorry, because I have like a lot of like theory and speculation. I guess now that we're now that we're saying it. So, um, her sister's been missing for years, and her parents basically finally have her legally declared dead, and this greatly upsets Enid. Right, it's like closure for them, and for her, she's like, so you're admitting, like, you're killing her. In my mind, she's still out there. And Enid very much, like, needs her sister to be alive. Past the point of really missing her sister, and more of, like, this fr- this frantic need for that inter- information to be correct. Yeah. She, like, needs it to be true. That her sister is definitely not dead. Not even necessarily alive, but not dead. Yeah. And when when they were kids, they went out into the woods. Uh, she came back alone, and she has no recollection of what happened and has never been able to access those memories. And her parents have said that her story changes consistently because yeah. she was a child at the time. And So they truly don't know. Yeah, they've tried uh, therapy to recover the memories, and it hasn't worked. Uh, the... It is implied that, like, many times over the years, she has thought that she's found uh, her sister. And, uh, you know, every time it is not, of course, and every time the parents are frustrated and angry and have to, like, kind of relive this uh, this trauma. Uh, so they're very, like, kind of mad at her by this point uh, in a way that, you know, definitely feels like there is some resentment. And on first watch... You feel a little bit worse for her. Yeah. And then on second watch, all of those moments feel all the more stomach churning and obvious. Right. In well, which they might have the same doubt in their heads. It's it's kind of uh, an interesting exercise in like how much uh, or demonstration of, I suppose, how much goodwill uh, being the protagonist of a narrative buys you yep because like you go into it and you're watching it you're like she's the main character i'm going to sympathize and see things through her eyes like i'm i am on the journey with this character so when people are mean to her they're being unfair when she's upset about something you know we feel it's upset right for and her just. and knowing you know what what we do by the end of the film all of these scenes you kind of see more objectively and you see it from the perspectives of the characters who are talking to her and you're like oh i didn't realize that she you know looked like she wasn't doing well and that she like is very clearly like not in a a super great state of mind even earlier in the film than i had like remembered that being the case she is spoken to with a fearful trepidation yeah and and you see her like i it it was interesting to me because it, it kind of uh watching it a second time almost felt like the first time I had watched it, I was a part of her psychosis. I was viewing it through the same lens of like, nobody fucking gets it, man. Yeah. And then you you watch it after taking a step back and you're like, oh, her head was doing what my head was doing, which was just like defending, uh, you know, her choices at all costs. Well, because with her as a protagonist, it is censoring information from us. Yes. Like it's again... The title tells you everything. It's all right there. It's all right there. So um, eventually she uh, realizes that a movie that she passed is being blamed for a murder in the area after a man kills his family. Uh, right, because he, he eats a face. Yeah. And there was a scene that had happened in a movie that they passed. In which she approved. So she starts getting harassed by the public for it because it's getting published everywhere. Um, and she's even appro- approached by the uh, producer who I guess the a horror director had like taken a movie out of one of his old vaults and requested her. And yeah. by this point, it's obvious that he's requesting her not for any... She assumes 
crazy supernatural reason in which the answer is directly for her because like Enid needs these pieces to fit for her right and it's interesting because on first view it reads that way it reads that way like he asked for you by name he said he wants a woman's perspective and it's like no it's because she let that other one through and it was big news that like so he could probably get a huge murder through on this one yeah exactly like she's she now has a reputation for being lax but on on first viewing you're like wait why does he know her? is there something special intended for her because again she is finding a way she is doing literal mental gymnastics to make all of these pieces fit into a mystery that other people can't see. Right. It is it is very much the the thought process of uh people who like uh formulate conspiracy theories based on like very disparate and like very clearly arbitrary things, but it's like, oh, these letters you know, break up into sets of three and three and three and three add up to make nine. And then the, you know, common cores three and three times two is six, the number of the beast or whatever. And it's like that. You just picked a word and started doing arbitrary math. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just had a moment that was real. <laughs> what was that? I saw you drift for a second. <laughs> it looked like you went somewhere. Okay. I'm about to say a few things as to hilarious meta things in this movie. Why I like this movie. An interesting moment and something that I've absolutely worked through in therapy. I don't feel weird about it anymore. So I do not want anybody listening to especially freak out. Uh, and I, and does I, this include me? I feel like this includes me. This doesn't include you. Okay, I mean, so wait, actually, this out? does include you. <laughs> this includes you. <laughs> no, I'm going to freak not, out. Too late. You, you already out. know this. <laughs> you're just not allowed to freak out because I think okay. you're literally like the only person that I've like shared this with. Ha! <laughs> so uh, Enid watched this movie and she saw... You know, the movie that the director requested, which was like Don't Go Into the Cabin, directed by... This don't Go in the Church. Don't, don't Go in the Church. Um, and it involves like an older sister and a younger sister uh, where she's like telling the sister to get into the cabin and then eventually like kills her in it in this very brutal scene, which again, I don't think is exactly how it happened. I think just the woods element of it and like a scary house was enough for her to be like, that's it. That's the memory. And that's what happened. Um, and that like unlocked it and then watching it and talking about it now, I literally had like a re unlock. I wouldn't say it's locked. I processed it again, gone through therapy. Um, and it's also why, uh, sometimes I might not use the most savory words to describe Enid. I'm sorry. I'm also working through my own stuff because I had an attempt on my life by a much older sibling that was mentally unwell. And That's true. Uh, so, A, if you're wondering if it's possible if a child could just have a thing in their brain that does this, yes. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, don't worry about it. I was too baby to even realize it. Literally, my only thought that day was just like poop eat. Um, so, I, again, I am literally completely unfazed by the information. And and this sibling is like no longer a part of your no, life no, no. at we all. We haven't like, spoken yeah, no in like interaction well whatsoever. over a decade, yeah. like easily. And even then, when we did, it was like I barely knew the guy. Yeah. Like I, I like he he's like further than a distant cousin, and I like did not know what the distance was. And then I now know as an adult, it was an almost Enid situation. Yeah, that's um, right. But it was I one where I watched. That, yeah. And sometimes I forget because, again, it's such, like, non-information that I didn't find out until I was older and, like, not really affected by it. Yeah. I mean, I was, but, again, I, like, processed it to where I was like, huh, that's crazy. But, like, imagine just a child wanting to kill another one for no reason. Fuck! Uh (laughs) You're like, I don't have to imagine it. I don't have to imagine it. And that's why sometimes I might get, like, a little heated and apologies inappropriate in my descriptions of Enid. Um, Right. But also... 
little bit of projection happening, which is a <laughs> little bit of projection happening. Uh, but also, I didn't go in the church, so good, good job. I just stayed. Uh, I just stayed baby. Yeah, just stayed baby the whole time. Uh, that's the secret. Just stay, stay baby. baby. Just stay baby. Uh, no. Uh, one. I'm sorry that that happened, and I Thank know you. that you know it's not. Uh, the, as you've said, you've processed it, and you were a baby at the time. But still, sorry that that happened, and that you experienced that, and you deserved better. Uh, back to sensor. Back to the church thing. Uh, back, back to the, to the sensor. Thing. She barfs. Uh, so yeah, and she doesn't like, address it. Has a panic attack, throws up, and is very clearly like watching this and freaking the fuck out. Um, something I wanted to say about this scene. Uh, two things actually. Before she watches, don't go in the church. Uh, which they do make a great joke there, where she reads the title and says, "Pretty soon there won't be any places where like we can go," which is a fantastic uh reference to English horror naming conventions of the era. Like, don't go in the basement. Don't go in the church. Don't look up. Don't look up. Don't go. Don't go down the stairs. Don't go anywhere. Uh, yeah. So I I love that. Um, but before she watches that she has a flashback of her and her sister in the woods and her telling her sister to spin around, which then happens in the movie. In the movie, there's a kind of, like the, the don't go in the church that they're screening. Uh, the older sister makes the younger sister spin around in circles, just like she did with her sister in her flashback before seeing it. And she says something super cryptic that like, you know, in the context of don't go in the church is just like, bizarre horror movie dialogue that doesn't necessarily pay off and feels like almost improvised because it's so low budget uh but she says something to the effect of like you have to summon my shadow and i you know potentially read too much into that line but given that it's like a scene that we have also seen in her flashback before the movie uh i i choose oh. to believe that her viewing of don't go in the church what she is seeing on the screen is actually uh, maybe akin to like a one-to-one because... You think we didn't see what the other person saw? I don't think we saw what the other person saw because there's a moment where he is taking notes and nothing violent has happened yet. There's no reason for a censor to be writing anything. At this point, Enid has only written the name of the film uh, and the director and is not taking any notes. He looks up and starts jotting something down no reason for him to be writing unless he is watching a completely different scene than what she is seeing. Uh, Summon my shadow feels like something that like a, a child psychopath might say as like, we're going to play a game where you make me scary. And then that becomes the excuse to be violent. Sorry. <laughs> that is my Correct. interpretation of that scene. Because that is how I have a, a a scribbled old note that I once found, which was I wish to taste blood tonight. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But also eleven, which is what like right. an eleven year old says when they're trying to sound scary because their brain is like, I need to be scary. Yeah. And that and it's so it's making these like really wild uh like big swings of just like i'm gonna say the scariest thing i can think of and it sounds like so deranged because it ultimately means nothing uh hilarious that we're talking about how the title means everything and your brain sensor stuff and then we were literally finding out in real time that my brain sensor stuff <laughs> you're like recovering <laughs> repressed trauma uh where i'm just like wait 
Yeah, so my my interpretation, uh, my theory is that she is watching a, a completely different film than whatever Don't Go in the I Church actually is. I go with your theory, is. actually. Uh, and, and also, I mean, you know, potentially because uh, from what we see, there is no church. They go into a cabin in the woods, uh, which, you know, maybe there's a church later in the film. We don't get to see the rest of it. Or maybe it's but... an old church because old-timey churches don't look that big. No, it was just like a, because there's yeah. like weird stuff hanging from it and stuff. It was like a creepy murder shack. Have you shack. seen a pioneer cabin? Is that a church? They have like versions of it. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, it could be a church. Anyways, I think that what we are seeing is closer to like her repressed and censored memory of what actually happened and that the other censors watching a different film. Uh, but after that, she starts uh, unraveling, but something that she latches onto because this thing that feels very like targeted to her where it's like, Two sisters go into the woods. One of them spins around, and then the younger one doesn't come back. Uh, and the director asked for her by name. Ooh, why? Uh, she clocks that the redheaded uh, actress in the film uh, looks like what she imagines her sister would look like as an adult. Uh, and uh, is, hold on, is uh, Alice Lee in that yeah so she's a child and don't go into the church right right and then she goes to the video store and has that great interaction where she basically uses her like deep cut horror knowledge as a sensor to like get the like behind the get the behind the counter stuff um and uh she manages to get her hands on another movie of his and sees alice lee on it and realize that that's been the same one as don't go into the church um important to know that it's the same girl as don't go into the church because later you find out that there's a sequel being made with the women as adults and that's going to be alice's last um because she's been doing it for a minute but she becomes obsessed with the idea that these movies are like snuff films and that alice is in it and she needs to be rescued right like that they that this director like kidnapped her sister as a as a child and has been forcing her to make these movies all these years uh yeah and she kind of like thatcher assumes about you know the horror movie industry in general yeah no and i i something that i love is that the the thesis of the film initially feels very much like uh like if if you take the idea if you subscribe to the the notion that this media can can warp somebody's brain uh and then you have someone whose job is to censor all of the horrifying parts then that person exclusively like as their full-time job watches all of the horrifying things that are released or made forever. So like if you truly believe that it damages, you know, a person's brain or their moral compass or like, you know, uh, causes uh, this, you know, kind of psychosis, uh, then what happens to the censor? What happens to the person whose job is to consume all of that? And as the audience, we have definitive proof that Enid has had this before this job. Yes. and This I, job is not what did it to her. Yeah, and I kind of love it because on first go, you're kind of like, oh man, like, yeah, she's like blurring the line between, you know, fiction and reality. And like, you know, she's so like immersed in this world of violence that like it's, you know, blending with her own trauma and then, yeah, watching it again, it's like, oh, no, she was always that. And the media had no it made no difference. She likely would have ended up doing something awful at some point either way. And you watch the way she navigates like social situations and uh, she's aggressively antisocial. Yeah. Like on the first rewatch, I was just like, oh, her coworkers are annoying. 
because that's how she perceives them. Right. And then on the second rewatch, they're just normal coworkers. She's right. Just, they're all just kind of doing jobs. They're all just doing jobs. She's willfully antisocial. Yeah, and also just kind of like, uh, not uh, does not necessarily like respond to certain social cues. Uh, in like sometimes with aggression, but also just in like a very kind of detached way that, uh, you know, viewing it through the lens of like, oh, it's possible that she doesn't have empathy <laughs> that you're like, yeah, she might not. Uh, because I like viewing it as though like she is potentially like uh, the, uh, what do you call it? Psychology of like a serial killer. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, she feels very like emotionless in a lot of uh situations uh because spoiler she racks up a body count pretty fast yeah she uh she she goes to the she she like unravels a series of clues that aren't really clues no and she she goes to uh the producer's house first uh and he does get uh definitely like aggressive and out of line with her and she uh, accidentally murders him, but murders in him a in like horrific a horror movie ass way. Yeah, truly fantastic. One of his trophies goes through the back of his head through his open mouth. Um, but then she immediately rewrites the situation. Yeah, it 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 is. It's great to like watch her like watch a character kind of justify their own uh, evils in real time. Uh, and yeah, the, she, she goes to the shooting location of Alice Lee's final film. Because she finds out that from that producer before she kills him that there is a sequel and he even tells her that it's currently shooting. And the thing is, it's a sequel to Don't Go Into the Church. Yeah. So they're looking for a person to show up that plays the sister. Right. And, and she... so they refer to her as the sister. And, and something that I love, again, it feels so uh, like cryptic and bizarre and ominous on first watch when the, the producer's like, yeah, it's going to be Alice Lee's final film. And it's, you know, on second watch, it's like, oh, he, he kind of just implies that like she's getting old to be yeah. like a, a scream queen, which is like a sleazy producer thing. But like that's that's what he's saying. Uh, but then when she shows up and the, the makeup artist is just kind of like, are you the sister? And starts like you know getting her ready you realize like oh it's a super low budget horror shoot and some of the actors bailed because it's just a shitty messy production it just there's a surly makeup artist that's like you don't look like your photo and you know like like, at least you showed up like half half of the people missed their call time and like yeah it's just a bad low budget production (laughs) as the way most of them were in which they were like funded by like five dollars in a dream yeah um and lunch so like what you see as cryptic is actually just an annoyed makeup artist yeah and and she uh she ends up uh going out there and having this fantastic scene with the director which again can be read as uh him being super like cryptic and knowing more than he lets on and like maybe he's manipulating her and he maybe he holds all the cards or maybe he's a director who doesn't get what this actor's fucking deal is <laughs> he just keeps trying to get a performance out of her and is is trying to kind of is trying to direct her and is like yeah you feel you feel guilty she shows up you weird feel, and unprepared yeah and he's just trying to get her to give him anything and she eventually does because that's the headspace that she's in and she's like i just want my sister i just 
I just need to see my sister. And he's like, all right, we can work with that. It's improv, but whatever. We'll, it's fine. We'll shoot it. He even says it as such. Yeah. And uh, then she is led to a scene. Uh, she wanders she... in before the scene even really begins. Right, right. Uh, and she, she ends up seeing uh, the actor that she believes is her sister. Uh, and an actor that they call Beast Man. So Beast this Man. is like a crossover. Uh, and uh, Beast Man thinks that because she entered that the scene started right um and is just acting and alice is also just acting because the person that showed up started and um enid uh the funny thing is beast man isn't even like acting overtly threatening in the moment he's like clearly just acting with her and he's like, now we are going to do the sacrifice or whatever. It's like very like hammy dialogue. It's very yeah. clearly like super cheesy horror movie scene. And in the time you're just like, oh, he's like reading stuff. But even then on the first watch, I was like, oh, he just has a thick accent and he's not a great actor. Right. Well, I and I think my my interpretation on uh first first watch was like potentially that like, yeah, he's reading a script. But like this might also still be a snuff film. He might like be reading his script for the scene and then he might be about to kill this actor who knows but enid just kills a guy named charles yeah she just brutally murders a guy named charles chops him with an axe because then alice starts screaming charles charles stop what are you doing he's not beast man he's just a dude named charles and uh alice is horrified runs into the woods and she also cuts Frederick North's head off. Cuts Frederick North's head off. and Which is a great like payoff to earlier they mentioned a decapitation. She's like, no, the decapitation was ridiculous. And then you get a ridiculous decapitation. And also this film does beautiful things with translations between uh, fantasy and reality using uh, aspect ratio. Where yeah. it moves in and out. And then you start to like feel like you're in Alice's brain movie as it comes in and out. Yeah, it'll like letterbox and like get like kind of like four by three and smaller. And then it goes like widescreen. And like, yeah, it's very cool. It, it, it's it's very fantastic and there's a few in the middle where it transitions in between that like honestly mwah, incredible editing this movie oh, is yes. immaculately the TV edited static to the forest to is the like forest such a beautiful transition one there's of the some, oh, it's so really pretty good shit. this yeah. movie is incredibly pretty um hi grandma i think you'll like this uh <laughs> yeah watch, watch censor it's on hulu but uh she chases alice into the woods and alice is clearly like you're just She's some like, lady that showed don't up kill me with an axe you <laughs> you're not my fucking a... sister what are you talking about stranger, i have a sister yeah who's murdering people with an axe please don't kill me with an axe and then you hear enid as alice runs off just begging please be her and it all suddenly makes sense where it's like she keeps looking for someone because if she did, then it's definitive proof that she didn't do that. Yeah. And again, like second watch. the She from, really doesn't want it to be true. Yeah. And just like from go, like you see her like in the first act, see just like a stranger on the street with red hair and think that it's her sister. And you see her parents reaction when she's like, I think this actor is her. And they're like, Jesus Christ, Enid, we can't Every keep redhead. doing this. Like, we're not doing this again. This is the and yeah what feels very much like oh they always like you know doubt the the final girl who's like the only one that knows what the killer's really Alice up to and that stranger look nothing like each other no and just yeah she she fully is just grasping at straws to try to rewrite uh the the part of her brain that knows that she did something unforgivable and yeah spends uh essentially her entire life trying to censor that and uh failing to do so 
Uh, or, well, I guess from her perspective, she does all right, because at the end, she uh, believes that her sister returns to her. It was her the whole time. Yeah. It was Alice. It's like, thank you for rescuing me. You finally found me. And she takes her home to see her parents. And it literally looks like the cover of a movie she saw at the video store earlier. Yeah, she projects that image over what, and what's really happening. The static in between shows that she has kidnapped Alice. And Alice is begging her parents for help. They're both covered in blood. She kidnapped her, drove her to her parents' house. And this stranger is just like, please help me. And she's just smiling and waving. And her parents, by this point, probably know. Yeah. I think they've always known. Yeah. I think that's why there's, they're so angry at Alice. There's a scene where it's a dream sequence, but she has a dream in which her mother screams at her, it's all your fault. And I I choose to believe that that dream was informed by like a like a real event. It felt kind of flashbacky. Like at some point her mother kind of slipped and was like, I, I do blame you. Uh, Vanessa's uh, taking her contacts out, so I'm going to just continue talking for a second. Sorry, they were so dry and I was going eyes. insane, but one of them was stuck. Oh, that's rough. So um, I'm just going to close the one that was stuck because I really had to like pinch to get it out. I, um, <laughs> no, it's it, it, those little moments very much informed that I think they've always like suspected, but they've been too, I don't know, either afraid or also like they love their daughter and they don't want to admit that their daughter is capable of doing something right, like right. that, even if they've like had their suspicions so i think when alice came running towards them they knew exactly what it was yeah that all of their suspicions have been confirmed yeah um and i think this is not like those movies in which a crazy twist ending happens and you are like oh you know you have to watch it to like catch everything you know no, I think it's, it's not that earned. it doesn't hinge on that everything is earned you can watch it one time and still have a great time i think the great thing about this is that with every rewatch you just appreciate everything else you're just looking somewhere else yeah and you, like you no longer have uh, a willingness to just believe the protagonist uh you, you no longer just kind of like buy into whatever the narrator's plight is because you're like no i i kind of know you're a bad guy so you start to like uh, hold more objectivity for it yeah and i think the like th thesis of it all not even just like what your brain does when there's something that you can't handle but also just like hiding ugly things just makes everything uglier um Ooh, yeah from both like the horror movie industry the haze code it's one of those where it's like i i okay i don't want to sound like a like a real old thatcher type here not even thatcher not the correct wording i don't want to sound like your old uncle at the table that says inappropriate shit about people of different ethnicities well, uh, but oh, that was a curveball all right um i think uh every few years pearl clutching and censorship uh, uh circulates and finds a new generation and i think um sometimes it's older and i think this gen this run through it's skewing younger um and uh you know y you see it quite a bit um and i think it's like far more well-intentioned than it used to be it, it comes from like a better place but they also don't really realize who's feeding it to them who's who's feeding them right like this needs to go away just because i don't like it and i'm not talking about like 
horrifically racist things. I'm talking about things of like the sexual nature or of horror or of violence or the things that this podcast intrinsically, you know, enjoys. And like, you'll see a lot of like older queers in these spaces that kind of get poo-pooed for, you know, having their coming up be through John Waters or, um, you see a lot of people being like, you know, tisk tisk for their empowerment coming through slasher movies where like, yes, the directors that had them had it through like the lens of misogyny, but it doesn't mean that it like can't be appreciated in like a different sort of way. Right. Um, and I think it's far different now than it was before. Cause before it came from like a control, a control standpoint, it came from, uh, this, uh, puritanical urge to, right. to dominate essentially and i think now it's uh not necessarily like the intent behind a lot of this but i think it's being fed by old voices yeah yeah i think uh i mean i i kind of the 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 longer i have live uh the more i feel like the sort of capitalist power structure that uh, you know, has existed long before my life and throughout my entire life and uh, will outlive me uh, is the root of, like, most evils in this world. And it genuinely feels like, uh, you know, not to uh, circle back around to the conspiracy theorist uh, talk, uh, but it genuinely feels like a small handful of people that, you know, control and hoard most of the wealth in the world uh just periodically um you know push various agendas through various uh press outlets and companies and media uh companies that they own that uh, I watch it happen all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we see it every day on the Twitter news cycle, but it just it feels like essentially Not just the people... Twitter news cycle. Why do you think sex workers are getting kicked off of Instagram, off of OnlyFans, right, off of Twitch? Right. They're making money for themselves, but the idea is censorship. The idea yeah, yeah. is they can't show tits, so the tits are being punished yeah. because they're profiting off of it. Because the only reason they're being told that it is bad is because the person that is telling them it's bad isn't making money off of those tits anymore. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um but yeah, it's it's uh, people in positions of power that just uh, kind of create these uh, reasons for us to cannibalize each other uh, to, you know, kind of uh, keep us all fighting for the same couple of scraps rather than finding any sense of solidarity and realizing like, oh, we don't have to do this. This is all kind of arbitrary. Like we've we've let these power structures, uh, you know, put us here but like no, they're all invented they're all constructs they're all social constructs uh and damn we're gonna be radicalized with this double feature yeah right <laughs> because uh yeah at, at the end of the day they are you know people people decided these things humans made these choices that uh you know mean that we uh many of us uh you know live uh, below the poverty line and fight behind over every scraps. arbitrary rule is somebody that doesn't think they're making enough money when they absolutely are. Yeah. 100%. Every arbitrary rule, every stupid puritanical ideal uh, is always behind either I am not making enough money or I don't fucking get you and I don't want to be around you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's why this pendulum swing is scarier because it's harder to convince someone like, hey, you're being brainwashed by a machine that is bigger than you. Yeah. And it's not even in the case of just like, you know, the old dude wagging his finger at you and telling you that you ain't shit. It's I've been through this. 
I don't yeah. want you to be choked by what choked me. No, it's it's uh everything's real bleak. <laughs> I don't see it that way. No. No. I I truly don't. Um I feel I feel constant uh overwhelming despair in the face of uh power structures that uh I I am impotent in the face of. Are you more aware of them than you've ever been? Yeah. Are you as a person that that's like true. hasn't been specifically educated in political science feel that's like you have true. a better verbal grasp on these things? That's true. My optimism comes from the fact that we are more aware of it now than we've ever been. You're right. It's harder and harder to hide as the days go by. The frog now knows when it's being boiled. Yeah. That's why it feels so bleak, but that's why I am hopeful. Because now the frog knows when it's being boiled. And that's we can true. hop out. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's uh, it's a frustrating position to be in to to realize that you are the frog in the pot, but also to have uh, seemingly no options at your disposal uh, to, to feel as though like, yeah, I can't get out of this pot and I sure as hell can't turn the stove off. Uh, but, you know, knowing where you are is a step. And I can uh, keep another frog out of it. Yeah. The, put another frog on your back. Help them get towards the edge eventually one of them will turn the stove off uh this metaphor got away from me but uh yeah frogs so that's, are cool frogs are cool Ribbit. uh also crack, something crack. i i meant to get into uh so we uh, will uh, keep it short because we have a whole ass other movie to talk about oh god damn it um, it's also a banger do you it's also <laughs> a bang you don't, there's nothing also about it uh it's, it's the definitive it's the banger main event uh no but uh what are your thoughts i mean as as earnestly as possible on you know the, the this idea of like oh like you know i guess obviously like anti-censorship in general but like uh i i guess when i was a kid i always watched like hard r-rated horror movies and action movies i always played violent video games there was not a time in my life that i did not consume violent media and so i you know as a child was always uh you know i, I guess like video games are the one that i kind of like most remember within my lifetime being a thing that i was like actively outraged about you know like attempts at censorship and like moral panic and people trying to you know people in the news trying to blame for acts of violence or crimes that took place uh you know and as a kid i remember very much being like this is you know absolutely absurd like if violent video games do not make people violent like violent video games do not make people commit crimes like it's it's just people who had this in them for whatever reason it's some you know combination of their their nature and their environment their circumstances whatever but like it's not because they played the wrong video game at the wrong time and I, I felt very, very strongly about, I guess, like, I, I had this hardline stance of, like, media does not influence me, essentially. As an adult, I look back and I'm like, literally, like, the movie we're about to talk about was, like, one in a series of reasons that I, like, bought a bunch of katanas as a teenager. And then, like, we got wooden swords and we'd go out to the park and, like, beat the shit out of each other with wooden swords when we were, like, 14. And straight up, like broke our hands hitting each other with sticks and it's like yeah that's because we like watched too much anime and too many martial arts movies and like the number of times i legitimately did something stupid because of like a video game or a movie or a tv show and you know granted i like was never like hurting anyone else but like 
uh, or, you know, anyone outside of like my friend group who was like, yes, let's fight with swords. We all agree to this. Uh, but it definitely like I, I did see things and then emulate them. And I do have to kind of admit that as an adult that I'm like, r- despite my very like hardline stance as a child, I'm like, I, I did, though. It's like I also watched Bonanza. Yeah. Uh, and then we played Cowboys and Indians because we were children. Definitely didn't right. understand the implications of right. what the fuck that actually was, uh, and beat the shit out of each other in the backyard. There wasn't yeah. any violence in Bonanza. Uh, cowboys definitely don't have logs, but I hit my cousin <laughs> with one. Jesus. Um, I think there's always going to be an amount of rough housing when it comes right. to children, and I truly think it doesn't matter what they watch; it'll happen. Whether yeah. it be a cat and an anvil in Tom and Jerry or their parents or what their parents watch on the news. I think children will always emulate. Um, I definitely don't think it's like media responsibility. I think it's one of those things in which it's just talking. Yeah. It's just constant conversation. I think. Um, yeah. Cause I mean like, yeah, I did always, you know, know what the lines and boundaries were, you know, I yeah. always knew like what was, uh, you know, like obviously like don't harm anyone. I think rough housing is just like, a natural part of yeah, it. And I, I guess if, if there was no media and art had never existed, a, a kid would watch a bird uh, fucking fight another bird in the air or like scoop a worm out of the dirt and then be like, now I'm a bird. I'm going to bite you with my beak. Rah. Or they would see a cat fight another cat. My and little be like, brother saw wrestle. a dog fucking pick up a dog treat out of the dirt and then he ate dirt. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just very much like kids do ridiculous shit no matter what you show them yeah, it's just regardless entirely of the stimulus regardless yeah. of the stimulus it is going to happen um so it's your job as a parent uh, and educator of the child to just make sure that uh they understand uh, i watched scarface when i was two baby people. i've yeah. never murdered anyone but you uh, have sold drugs this is this is an Hi, intervention <laughs> 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 whatever she sold drugs too <laughs> That's right, Grandma. I'm putting you on up blast. all of the women you, in your life. <laughs> so, Elijah, yeah. what the shit did you pair with Sensor? Oh man. Okay, I want to say uh, I gave a lot of consideration to pairing uh, Hero with it because uh, unreliable narrator, nonlinear storytelling, a lot of flashbacks, and also they're both a visual feast. Uh, but. Uh, I, I, I didn't feel as much like discussing Hero this week as I did uh, feel strongly about making you watch Harakiri for the first time. <laughs> so I chose. Oh, I restarted oh, it. It's still going, it's still going, it's still going. Yeah, I chose Masaki Kobayashi's Harakiri. Uh, empirically, inarguably... And absolutely one of the greatest films of all time. I think forever I'm just going to see myself as like before I watch this movie and after I watch this movie. My God, right? Yeah. It, okay. So I, I will say just to like, uh, you know, clear up the, the connection because, uh, you know, some some folks out there might be saying, well, well, hey, what is uh, what does Harakiri have to do with censor? Uh, and for, for those people, uh, you know, don't be so critical, man. I'm trying my best. No, <laughs> no. They I mean, both... I initially was asking literally until we started the episode. Yeah. And then it started to kind of, yeah, it clicked. clicked. Yeah. They're, they're both, uh, they, they both deal with, uh, structures, structures of, uh, power that are, uh, sort of enforcing an arbitrary will and are themselves, 
deeply hypocritical and uh, often uh, strip the person uh, in in charge of enforcing these arbitrary principles and rules and uh, moralize po- poverty. Yeah, yeah, and it, they they uh, you know strip the, the 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 workers, the enforcers of these rules. Whether you're a you know film censor who yourself is forced to consume hours and hours and hours of the thing that is supposedly destroying people's brains, or whether you're a you know a samurai that serves a an unjust and hypocritical lord. Uh, it, it it forces you to kind of set aside your own humanity uh, just to like exist, exist within these systems. Uh, they both follow sort of uh, doomed characters uh, who are sort of molded by violence and tragedy uh, who themselves feel like sort of uh, wild-eyed and disconnected from the people around them uh, until uh, eventually they... Uh, erupt in an explosion of of violence uh and uh important kind of kind of fun hook uh i i fully assume that the the end of censor uh because earlier we see that she is showing up in tabloids multiple times she shows up uh, you know they they there are reporters talking about how she like passed this uh movie that caused a guy to eat a face Later, someone took a photo of her in a video store and it's a tabloid headline that's like the, you know, that sensor that messed up earlier is also addicted to video nasties. She's buying them illegally behind the counter. Uh, so presumably when this woman who's already, you know, been on uh, the covers of these tabloids and stalked by paparazzi for, you know, this period of time goes on a, a killing spree and then abducts a woman, uh, presumably that's big news and I would imagine that the narrative that gets spun out of that is, yeah, she watched all those movies and it made her kill people. She literally did it to herself on the way to the parents' house. Right. The radio story of there's no more horror movies and violence yeah, is gone and yeah. crime is gone. And so they, they both uh, feature basically uh, a, a, a horrifying thing that is going to be quickly uh, swept under the rug and blamed on things that are not at all what the cause was. Uh, and so in that way, I think they both kind of have the same ending um, in that like nothing really changes as a result of this horrifying tragedy. Does uh, it? No. I'm serious, though. Well, okay. So I'm just gonna intercept this before we start Harakiri because this okay. is just like a yeah. gentle and gen- like genuine sentiment that I have. It is easy to look at the world and be like it is on fire and be fatigued. We are not allowed to. We're straight up not allowed to, because what the fuck does that do for anyone after us? That's what everyone before us did. Yeah, you're right. You can't look at kids today and be like, I'm sorry, I'm tired. Everything sucks. No, that's true. That's exactly why we're here. Yeah, I mean, I. That's true, man. I like I. I feel like I see a lot of uh, younger, like a younger generation that is like far more politically and socially active than I was for like the first two and a half decades of my life, and I see them doing this at like age fifteen, and I'm so uh, so stoked for them, and so like so uh, I don't know, heartened and emboldened by that, and I just feel like so. You're right. Like it does give me a lot of optimism, and it also they yeah, deserve kinda, better. They do, and it it makes me wish that like the you know generation uh, before us had I don't know given us any of the education or tools uh, to try to do. They any of that. did by doing everything wrong. 
They were choked out by the same thing. We saw how it fucked up. Yeah, true. We're literally having this episode right now. There are conversations about this right now because at least we get to collect the information that we cannot learn from. Yeah. No, that's true. So it did... What you're saying is that uh, Sugomo's uh, arc in Harakiri did make a difference. It did have a ripple effect. It's a never-ending Hail Mary. It's absolutely true. Uh, Because we're watching it now as the generation of the information age. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Thanks for keeping me optimistic, my love. Um, I need that. Uh, let's, Let's talk Harakiri. I feel I I did that thing again. Uh, with this happened with the thing. It's, but I don't even think it's a, a an error of the format. I think it's just that we genuinely don't have enough hours in the day because if we'd both like, not had to work today and been able to start much earlier. It's eleven. Like, I've been working since seven I in the know. morning. I'm very tired and drenched in sweat, but I like want to talk about Harakiri for ten hours, Same. and I wish that we had a full day to do that. Someday I'm going to retire and go back and re-record all of these episodes and they're all going to be 10 hours long. Sincerely? And no one will listen to them. Sincere pitch. Yeah. I know we've been looking for a double feature for when we eventually do our live show. Because we're planning a live show in the summer, hopefully when numbers are down. Um, And uh, to benefit Elijah's old gym or Watna. Uh, I honestly think because of how much we had to say about this one that we should legitimately do like Sensor and Harikiri. Oh, it's real good. Because Sensor's a little bit shorter than like the average movie runtime anyway. And Harikiri's so, a little bit longer. So they kind of it matches up to about the same time anyway. It's it's a very good double feature. I will say one uh one potential uh hang up is they are both kind of slow burn films and it's hard to do a slow burn double feature. It's Unless it's kicking seats. and screaming listeners there. That's true. All right, let's talk Harikiri. I think uh, we should do this for a live show. Right. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Uh, so, one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, definitely, I, I'm going to say top five samurai Number films, one for me right now, baby. Which is fair. And I've heard a lot of people say this, and it's really hard for me to bump uh, Yojimbo. Yojimbo is, like, always my number one because, my God, does that movie hold up just as, like, even just, like, under leads of, like, modern like action film yojimbo is still just such a banger um but god it might be like number two for me because it's like yojimbo seven samurai sword of doom and harakiri those are my top seven four samurai and sword, do- sword of doom yeah, right um i uh but this is currently number one for me both for like the story it tells the fact that it like challenges the idea of samurai honor and what the fuck that even means because i know in other movies there'd be several moments in which this protagonist would be considered dishonorable by other protagonists right no something Uh, that i love it in no uncertain terms they make it very clear that the protagonist of this film to his absolute last breath has more honor than anyone else on the screen for like the entire runtime like and more contempt for the notion of the arbitrary rules that uphold it yeah, and he is a dude who has has lived it more than anyone else that we, that we see, with the exception of like maybe his uh the his friend who is the you know father of his eventual like son in law, um because he you know fought in these wars he was raised as a samurai he was you know from from birth presumably born into a family during a feudal era at a time in which 
all he would have been taught is how to be a samurai, how to be this this chivalrous uh, knight, this this swordsman who is a a tool in service of your master, in service of your lord. Uh, which is funny because we do, I think, like a lot of media, but also just like a lot of people have this tendency to romanticize uh, the samurai because like it's it's fucking cool. It's a dude with a cool sword. It's a this dude... movie sees it for the tragedy that it was. Yes, and there are a ton of stories, uh, you know, including the aforementioned Yojimbo uh, or even Sword of Doom that kind of uh, play with these themes of like, yeah, there's this uh, very distinct and like uh, sort of surreal in retrospect uh, point and place in uh, like time and history uh, and the world in which there was an entire like cast and class of, of person who was trained very specifically in one skill set and then suddenly told that like that there was no use for that skill set and they're like what the fuck do i do like killing used to be like the thing that i was good at and like uh celebrated for like i was heroic for this and now it's just not in demand and that of Cowboys, course factory workers yeah no exactly and like that of course is tragic but i think that we have this tendency to like still romanticize like oh yeah like the honor and like the the dignity and the loyalty and like the ferocious it's like chivalry like, with knights right uh, and like the devotion to the lord and master that you serve that's like oh yeah no like these guys were like these badass you know warrior dudes and it's like no man they were fucking brainwashed by and large they were people who were told like hey you have to be this you were born into it this is the only thing you're ever going to learn or do and you follow orders with a blind obedience from a dude who is, you know, sort of arbitrarily the man in power. And yeah, it's, I mean, which I guess is, you know, largely any like military industrial system. But yeah, Harakiri really does just kind of pick that apart, like brick by brick. That's like, yeah, the, the samurai code of honor is, is nothing. It's fucking pointless. It causes harm. And yeah, at at best, we are lying to ourselves. At worst, we are causing irreparable damage. Uh, and I th think it's uh, beautiful in that message that it really, uh, I think it's great that it has a bunch of uh, like cool ass sword fighting and still does not leave you feeling like, yeah, samurai, that's a tight thing to be. It's like, no, it's awful. I mean, like, the the moment in which everything kind of clarifies and crystallizes is when he realizes his son-in-law like sold his swords which is like a dishonorable thing yes. for his family and he was like why the fuck didn't i sell mine yeah my stupid the, pride yeah, his, my stupid idea of honor why the fuck didn't i sell mine to his, keep my family his safe his daughter is sick his grandson is sick his this baby it, like has chills and a fever and they you know cannot afford a doctor they are starving and dying of the illness. answer was in his hands and he didn't even consider it yeah and he never even would have thought that because from you know from birth he was taught that like oh a samurai's sword is his warrior's spirit this is my this is my soul like my my i'm only as good as the blade that i carry and his son-in-law was like fuck that i want to keep my family alive yeah and the as as soon as he realizes that like that wasn't even a consideration after he'd sold every other thing that he owned he's like well, what the fuck am i doing this this completely hollow belief and it it is very much like a story of uh you know how the this sort of like um 
it it feels very much like the the thing that we all you know currently experience uh, living in capitalism that like most people are one catastrophe away from uh being unhoused from like being bankrupt from it's being... why so many veterans are homeless yeah and and we told them a lie we broke them and then we told them they didn't mean anything and we threw them on the street yeah and and gave them uh very few resources uh but uh, but yeah it's it's very much a, a story of a person yeah being sold a lie and then slowly losing everything that they care about and becoming so disillusioned with the the structure of the world that they had previously bought into uh that they dedicate the remainder of their life to literally trying just trying to hold up a mirror and getting anyone that will listen anyone in that goddamn room to a- admit or even just like not not apologize even just budge a little bit in this unwavering belief and adherence to uh this hypocritical uh tyranny and uh ultimately they don't uh but should we let's uh should we go through the narrative real quick because there's some like really phenomenal scenes i want to touch on so this movie does a lot with narrative so we'll just very quickly tell you what happened because you view this story from two different lenses essentially yeah and and the way it is told is uh part of uh why it is so effective and so like definitely i mean it should have it should have been a big uh, telegraph to go watch the movie when we started by saying, like, it's one of the best movies of all time. If you haven't seen Harakiri, go watch go. Harakiri. Go watch it, guys. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. Rent it on Amazon Prime. It's great. But basically, different samurai because they've been out of work for so long because the shogunate just makes choices no matter what it means for anybody at large, um, have been showing up at different uh, houses to essentially ask to uh, give them facilities to commit harakiri, and, and then they'd and, be paid alms to leave. And basically uh, what, what had happened is uh, one ronin uh, at the end of his rope was like, I, I want to choose my death such as the way of a warrior and a samurai. I want to die honorably by harakiri. And the the house that he showed up at was so impressed by his uh, resolve and his uh, warrior's spirit. And they're like, wow, he's a true samurai. It would be a shame uh, for him to die on his sword. Let's instead employ him as a, as a vassal, a, a retainer here. Uh, and then when word of that got out, all Ronin everywhere were like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'll show them my resolve by threatening to kill myself and then they'll hire me. And, and everyone's like, oh, my God, all of these poor people are trying to suddenly get hired. Like, how dishonorable of them, as if it's not the system that created them, also rewarding them by one of them taking a risk and then being rewarded by that same system. Exactly. And so uh, a a dude uh, shows up at the E.E. Uh, E.E. clan uh, house, and uh, they, they're known for their... Uh, deeds of martial valor and they uh have this beautiful red armor that they keep on display as a symbol of their strength and their samurai spirit and uh when when he shows up and asks to use their facilities for harakiri uh definitely hoping to you know get a payout uh they they talk to the the young lord of the house who decides that uh they they can't you know 
they need to make an example out of him. They're like, if we give money to every beggar who comes by trying to extort us, then we'll never see the end of it. We need to, you know, set an example. So they decide, like, no, they're they're going to make sure that this man kills himself. He immediately tries to back out. He's like, oh, well, give me, you know, a day's reprieve. It's not even him, like, backing out. It's him wanting to put his affairs in order. Right, which we we later learn. Uh, But they uh, force him. They tell him, you know, they'll they'll, uh, either kill him or he can kill himself. Uh, they find out that he had pawned his blades, which they consider so disgraceful. And they're like, this guy wanted us to believe that he was honorable and that he was going to die a warrior's death. He doesn't even have a sword. Instead, he has uh, bamboo blades, which they force him to use to kill himself. Uh, And something I will say, I do kind of love that, like, even in that moment, he has more honor and dignity than anyone in the room. Because he fucking does it. Because he fucking does it. And he absolutely, like, they make it clear that if he tries to run, they're just going to cut him down. So, like, the obvious thing to do is try to run and you'll get killed quickly and largely painlessly. Like, it'll be, you know, one or two stabs or cuts and you're done. He doesn't want to give him the satisfaction. No, instead he takes a dull piece of bamboo and he looks him right in the fucking eyes and starts jamming that shit into his stomach stomach repeatedly and then throws his body weight onto it uh and drags it across his stomach in what is legitimately one of the most upsetting kills in film history I had a stomach ache oh my god like before it yeah so yeah. then when it was happening i just kept just i think i was actually like stomach. fully squirming you like were, i was like kicking yeah you're like kicking your legs and i was like are you okay and you're like i don't know what to do <laughs> it was it was pretty great it, it was, was it was 40 experience. in a way that yeah. i like uh I'm good on. <laughs> uh, I, I <laughs> amazing scene. Don't want to watch it with a stomach ache again. It is. It is something that I love that like uh, censor a film you know about video nasties that is itself like fairly violent. Uh, does not have the most like affecting kill of this double feature because the and there's gory shit in there. Oh, there's absolutely gory shit. There's great kills. The first time you watch that kill in Harakiri, like it fucking stays with you man like i literally remember like where i was and what age i was the first time i watched it It, like that is like permanently embedded in my brain and that you know your mileage may vary listener it might not be the case with everyone uh but my god is that scene uh effective for me sorry i literally just got lost in thought thinking about it again it's so haunting and so well done and yeah shockingly violent uh but yeah they force him to kill himself uh and then uh what about a about a week later maybe uh, i forget the timeline another samurai shows up asking for the same thing claiming to not have known him when they use him as an example insisting he absolutely does intend to commit harigiri uh and then tells them the story of how that samurai that they made kill himself uh was his son-in-law who he raised after his dad also committed Harikiri because of the systems that held them, uh, you know, hostage, uh, raises him, has him marry his daughter who he was raising alone as he's a widower. Um, they have a kid and despite being extremely poor are very happy. The only thing is they get sick and they don't have the money. These people have to keep themselves alive. Yeah. And he did this to hopefully get alms. To hopefully get something right. because his his wife and his child are extremely sick. Um, and instead they do this and then mock his body and throw his swords on his head. Um, yeah. And 
the most just despicable, heinous shit. The most despicable, heinous shit. And also, if they asked, they would have realized the reason he wanted to leave was to make sure that his family was taken care of. Yeah. Um, Literally just get his affairs in order. And then he absolutely would have come back because he was an honorable man. And uh, his his daughter and grandchild die, which is heartbreaking because this film also shows you like how much of a grandpa he was. Yeah. How much he God. loved you being these, like, one. Beautiful moments of humanity. Both being a dad and a grandfather and raising this wonderful young man. Something that I, I do really love, and, and you mentioned it, but I just want to like kind of emphasize that uh, they show these, you know, the, the, this family experiencing extreme uh, poverty and they don't portray it as like every single day is such a struggle. It's nothing but misery. It's bleak after bleak. They show it as like, no, like they there is love. There are moments of joy. They he said still, it was the happiest time of his life. Yeah. They just it's like so much uh, still just like, yeah, love. And you like make do with what you can and you you know you find your happiness where you can uh and the things that are tragic about it are like yeah they can't afford a doctor like they they, you know it's it's very much yeah issues that we still uh you know like that are still relevant at this time of recording and before this they were basically telling him oh why don't you just make your daughter a concubine he'll be happy why aren't you willfully living within these guidelines that we've created for ourselves and he's like why yeah, we're happier like, like this. I'm not going to sell my fucking daughter, dude. And I just, yeah, I don't know. Someone who like grew up pretty poor, uh, I, you know, tend to like, I I don't t- uh, tend to enjoy a lot of media that like portrays uh, poverty as being like, you know, super, super, super bleak. And of course, like, you know, that that is real too. And it absolutely is like worth uh, showing. But like, I don't know, man. When I remember my childhood, I'm not, like thinking back on the times that like we you know didn't have the lights on or like didn't have food in the fridge i'm thinking back on you know all the times that we were like laughing and having fun and having a good time so i don't know i i appreciate that this movie portrays it that way um but yeah sugomo uh sugomo sugomo uh double check i'm gonna double check um he very much describes that point not when he was an employee not Tsugumo. when things were, you know, at their best as the best time, but that point in which they were just a happy little family is amazing. And this clan is directly responsible for taking all of it from him. Yeah. All of it. And then laughing in his face about it. Um, and he's basically telling them everything. And he tells them from the beginning, I am telling you this because maybe you can avoid being me. Yeah, and he he makes it very clear. He's like, hey, this might just be the ramblings of a a bitter old man facing death. And I intend to take none of you with me. Yeah, like, your mileage may vary. I came here to cut my own guts out, and that's what I'm going to do. But, uh, you know, stories of uh, folks like me, that could be you tomorrow. Who knows? And he keeps making that point that he's just kind of like... Like, I don't think any of you realize how near to me you are and to my situation you are because I was like you not that long ago. And then some here laws changed and here I am. And yeah, that that thing that, you know, uh, you, you get uh, folks who uh, f- trip all over themselves to defend billionaires while demonizing uh, unhoused people. And it's like, you are literally like, one car accident away from uh, being unhoused, you will never be a billionaire. <laughs> like, this like is... I constantly tell people, I had, for a good portion of my adolescence, like, money. 
And then the second I turned 17, my life was fucking desolate when it came to like finances for a long time. Yeah. One choice is what it took. And yeah. then in the later part of my adoles- adolescence, my parents and their money gone forever. One thing did it. Everybody is always one. Di- you are closer to poverty than you are to being a billionaire. Yeah. At all times forever. Uh, and, and yeah, Sugumo uh, kind of comes in with, with that point and is just like, Hey, I, you know, I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, and there's the great, uh, incredible recurring bit that is genuinely one of my favorite pieces of comedy and film, uh, where, he keeps like he'll tell a bit of a story and they're like all right well get on with it cut your guts out and he's like yeah okay i guess i'll get on with it and a guy stands up to be his second uh which if you know if you haven't watched the movie and you don't know what that is uh when you're uh doing when you're committing harakiri doing this uh you know ritual suicide uh you have a second guy who cuts your head off so that you don't have to like die a super slow painful death by your own disemboweling uh, and his second uh, will start to stand up to walk over to him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll start the ritual. And then as soon as the guy stands up, he goes, wait, there is one more thing I want to say. Because and- he's been asking for three seconds and they're all missing. Yeah. Each guy he names, he's like, this guy is a great swordsman. He's the person that I want to send me to my afterlife. And then each time they're like, oh, he uh, didn't come in today. He's, he's sick. It's weird. And by the third one, you know, they start to realize like something. It's everybody tied yeah, everybody that uh, was directly involved in uh, forcing his son-in-law to kill himself with a bamboo sword. And uh, I think my favorite thing is um, this every- film correctly ascertains that everybody in that room learns nothing. Yeah, no, that everyone working for this... Uh, this the, family, this clan, yeah, learns this, nothing. I mean, this, this political leader uh, who is, you know, essentially a, a tyrant uh, in his own little world, uh, they're all so brainwashed and so completely lacking of any kind of, like, class solidarity or even self-awareness that it's very much just, yeah, his his word is law. And uh, that's, that's like, kind of the, the great tragedy of the movie is he tells the entire story about how... He could have saved them. Yeah, and, and he tells the story about how through, you know, no fault of theirs, uh, his entire family was fucking uh destroyed and that you know they they did everything within their power and still couldn't feed themselves or afford a doctor and still you know is kind of met with like oh well the samurai code of honor blah 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 at which point he presents three top knots each with a name tag of their super honorable samurai yeah, who are most honorable who were all just too darn sick to come in today turns out he found each one Caught them one on one, cut their top knots off, uh, which is an incredible move, by the way, because like I, you know, it obviously has its own weight in the world and code of samurai. But it's harder but than murder. It's harder than murder. And just imagining like getting into a fist fight with someone and they not only like beat you up, they then like hold you down and shave your whole ass head. Like imagine how much worse that is than them just like knocking And he you declares out. it. He declares yeah. it laughing. Because yeah. he's showing them how much their lives are bullshit. Yeah. And how like, much what they believe in is bullshit. And if any of them had an ounce of honor, they would have immediately disemboweled themselves on the spot because that's what their, their code dictates, right? That's what the whole thing was about. But that's you why... can't appeal to the dude upholding it because that's what everything depends on. Yeah. And and so, like, if 
if there's any reason that his son-in-law should have been forced the way he was to kill himself, let alone forced to do so with bamboo blades while people mocked him, then uh, every motherfucker missing a topknot should have immediately killed him, killed himself and not been, you know, oh, like calling out sick. Uh, and and still, he, he has empirical evidence, essentially. He's like, this is irrefutable that you guys are hypocrites. Everything you're saying is bullshit. And what he demands of them is not an apology. It's not compensation. He, he doesn't even want a sorry. No, he even tells them, like, I'm still going to kill myself. Don't worry. I can't wait to die at this point because I my life is awful. I want to see my family. Yeah, he's like, literally, the only thing that I'm hoping for is that you might be willing to admit that you could have handled that better. And he's like, that, like... My son-in-law was also wrong for coming here the way that he did, but maybe you shouldn't have done it the way that you did. Because he was fucking desperate. Because yeah. he was a man, and he was like, he's the most honorable person I know, because, like, yeah, he fucked up, but he fucked up doing a desperate and crazy thing to keep someone alive. Yeah. And he accurately points out that, like, he tells him, would you have done the same in that position? And he says it knowing they don't have the context for that, and they refuse to. Yeah, and they, they never will. They will never make any attempt to empathize with like something beyond their experience. But at the end of the day, he stays he's free. They're yeah. not. No, and and uh he yeah, eventually uh starts uh cutting him down. Has a really really <laughs> fantastic fight scene. And they fight him not because he started the violence, but because he showed them irrefutably that everything that they believe them is hypocritical, wrong and incorrect. Yeah. And what's great is that they, they come at him, uh, you know, and definitely like strike first and he defends himself and is fighting them for a while. He still in the end does commit Harakiri. He does the thing that he promised he was going to do the entire time. Also takes like, he tries. It's obvious. He's not trying to take that many people with him. No, he's trying to keep them away. Yeah. In trying to not kill anyone, he still takes four wounds eight. Yeah. So he, and yeah, four are. And that's him trying not to. Yeah. Four are confirmed dead. Eight of them are seriously wounded, could be dead. Uh, and they, yeah, vastly outnumber him the entire time. They have spears. Eventually they have guns. Uh, Which is the only I, reason anyone is dead. Yeah. And what what I do love is uh, his, his final act before committing Harakiri, he makes his way to the room where their legendary uh Yi clan red armor is on display the the sign and symbol of their martial valor and their samurai code and he lifts it up and for a minute uh he's he's holding it in a way that feels like oh he's like hiding behind it he's like using it as a shield because they're you know they're not gonna strike this armor or just because it's a suit of armor so it can absorb some some blows uh and they they come out with some some rifles and uh, rather than trying to hide behind the armor for, you know, for any period of time upon seeing the rifles, he holds the armor up over his head and throws it to the ground, just like making it very clear that at no point was he, you know, afraid of them. At no point did he not intend to die. He he came here to show them this is this is bullshit. And he took the symbol of of everything that they purport to be about everything that they claim they represent and, and threw it on the ground in front of them uh, to, to underscore that point that uh, they're hypocrites and that they uh, have no humanity. Uh, there, there's not a single 
bit of uh not only honor not samurai code uh but just yeah humanity decency empathy uh life in in that entire fucking room uh and then after this brutal fight uh blood and swords and dust everywhere uh after suguma is killed the uh lord of the house orders the three who had their top knots cut uh to immediately uh you know be forced to commit harakiri uh one of one of them already did he was he was the most honorable of the three he challenged him to a duel uh but he the those three are uh you know made to kill themselves uh the ones who were killed by sugumo uh along with the ones who committed harakiri are all recorded or reported as having died of illness and uh the way the story is recorded officially is that sugumo came by committed harakiri some other people in unrelated events died of illness and ultimately no no word of this will ever be spoken again regardless of that there's still a dishonored dead guy with his top knot in a bucket <laughs> that's true i mean there's like what history records and then there's what happens yeah uh and uh i think as we get closer to like seeing it and like the internet age especially where it like just lives there forever that's right. harder to do yeah i actually god i guess that is you know maybe the most you kind can't of do like, tiananmen now yeah it's maybe the most optimistic change because so much of harakiri still uh you know rings true and holds up uh and obviously like we do not uh you know we we are not samurai but uh most of what is happening in that film is still like yeah that's just capitalism that's just power structures that trample on us and force us to fight for scraps uh but yeah maybe the most optimistic thing is that like it's a little bit harder to cover shit like that up now because someone's going to be there with a cell phone recording it posting it to twitter it's it's a little harder for people to get away with shit yep history used to be recorded by the winners and now it is recorded by anybody with a computer in their pocket which is everyone yeah nice thanks that's why I'm calling this the Kill Your Gods double feature. I feel like we may have had a Kill Your Gods double feature already. Kill it. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Done. Uh, maybe it's just because you say Kill Your Gods so frequently that Is I just Is it because assume... I have literally engraved it on several pairs of glasses? Yeah. You don't like gods. Um, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> you go, that's, a, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other Here's episode. your complicated relationship with religion. Uh, yeah. What's our what's our snack pairing? Snack pairing. Let's see. Um, oh, did she eat anything in censor? No. Hold on. What? Well, you think about it. I'm just also gonna say that. Uh, well, there are only essentially two fight scenes in Harakiri. Uh, it you know absolutely is a martial arts film because so much of it is uh contingent on the sort of rigid codes and codes of conduct and ethics of uh this martial lifestyle uh but also the choreography in those two fight scenes fucking phenomenal uh holds up in a way that like not every classic samurai movie necessarily does uh because they are still uh just like so like fluid and beautiful uh and like tense and action-packed the one-on-one -on -one duel uh, feels like what I imagine 
two very skilled users of that sword uh, fighting one-on-one would look like. And then the final group fight is like bloody and f- phenomenal. Uh, great snack. fight scenes. What's what's the snack? S'mores. 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 Something S'mores. you. S'mores. <laughs> S'mores for me. S'mores for you. Keep getting increased. Don't know why I did that. Every time you say it. One. Where do you usually eat s'mores? Well, you did it, and then I wanted to do it. Small for me, small, small for, for me, you. Small for, right? It feels nice. Yeah, it does. You feel like an old-timey vaudeville guy. One. Yeah. You eat s'mores in the woods. Okay. So uh, going in the woods, like where the sister died. Two, yep, the graham sure. cracker was invented by a Quaker who specifically made it so that it was like- Oh, so people so would have sex less or something, right? So that you'd avoid impure thoughts. Is that is that a graham cracker? I thought that was like cornflakes. That's a graham cracker. Okay. Cornflakes were invented by uh, smushing the uh, oats and shit and feeding them to old people. Um, so graham crackers and puritanical standards. Okay. Um, chocolate and uh, marshmallow could be two things. A, they're very decadent indulgences. But B, they're also things that you can find extremely cheap from any pantry to make a very delicious thing. Like a like you know like a little shitty chocolate bar and Seven Eleven marshmallows, um, and then uh, in order to consume these, you usually have to break them in half. Um, and there's a lot of like meaningful breaking happening specifically in Harikiri, yeah. both of just like traditions and mentalities, but also like the sword. The sword is like snapped right. yeah, yeah. in half, and you know things are. So essentially like broken like you literally can't like eat a s'more without breaking it right. um and also it's just like such a lovely juvenile family thing that you usually consume um that it's like you can't tell me that a very fancy dessert has anything above s'mores with yeah, my niece true so yeah. uh s'mores all right i'll take it S'mores are uh, the the treat of the working class, the treat of the the proletariat. <laughs> S'mores are for the proletariat. Is that what that word means? Yes. Okay. I had to double check. I both learned what proletariat what and bourgeoisie mean. meant when I was, I've told you about this, how I learned all of this and learned how to be articulate about it when I was young because I was trying to impress my dad and then I just became a tiny nightmare. Mm, that makes sense. Hey. Now, you're a slightly taller nightmare. <laughs> I'm really not that much taller than when I was when I was that age. No. I have not grown since I was like nine. <laughs> 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 this is what happens when you give your coffee kids coffee way too young. Yeah. Uh, you get a, you get a me. I only come up to about here. Yeah. But you're full of pep. Full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, and coffee. What are we doing? I don't know. What this... movie did you pick next? I haven't even picked it yet. That's in the future. My God. Give me a minute is to breathe. Is it going to be a martial arts movie or a horror movie? It's why it's probably gonna be a martial arts movie. I mean, I there are horror movies that I want to pick and will pick they eventually. Fucking pick it. No. Pick it. I'm a coward and I won't. They're too scary. No. <laughs> no. I I feel a, a sense of uh, obligation to to pick martial arts films. Uh, at least for now. Eventually, I think that I will hit a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna pick some horror movies, but. The unfortunate thing is that probably at that point we will have covered so many martial arts films that you're going to have a hell of a time pairing anything with these horror I'm going to start picking more martial arts films to piss you off. All right. Do it. Anyways. You'll uh, post it on Twitter then. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe we'll finally do Fist of Legend. Is it streaming anywhere? Every week I feel like I say Fist of Legend and then it's not streaming anywhere. Tell where you um, they can find you on Twitter and then uh, where they can, can find the podcast while I look. Okay, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. Uh, you, you can tweet at me. We can talk about cool fight scenes that you like or just like cool moves uh, that you like to do, like a, like a spinning back kick or like... Uh, like a baseball choke. That's pretty cool. Uh, you can YouTube. find... Is available on YouTube? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, man. Fuck it. That's my pick. Let's do Fist of Legend. It's it's so good. And <laughs> we still haven't done it. And I don't know why. It's legitimate. Like, it's one of my favorites. Like, if I, if I was making a top ten list, Fist of Legend would probably be on it. And I just, like, I somehow have not covered it. Don't know why. Let's commit. We're finally doing Fist of Legend. You can find the podcast on all forms of social media. Uh, we are at Kickscream Pod. I say all forms, but we don't have a TikTok, and I don't think we have a Facebook page, do we? No, we're not yeah. on Facebook. So I can, can barely be on, on that for Twitter me. Twitter or Instagram under at Kickscream Pod. Uh, Vanessa, where can the people find you? Sorry that everyone's hearing my computer as I boot into this episode. Um, people can find me uh, on SNES Guerrero or NES Guerrero. Um, plug one in, it'll come up, or if you just type in Vanessa Guerrero. NES uh, Guerrero. There's two S's. Yes, I forgot that I did that. Um, and then you can find me every um, Tuesday and Wednesday on uh, G4, uh, whether it be on your Twitches or your YouTubes. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, that's about it on uh, finding me. That's yeah. about as much as I want to be found. That's about it. Yeah. And as always, we, we love, love you. you. Bye. Bye.